this. Okay. If you're planning to follow today's verses in your Bible or Bible app, can you please turn or swipe to Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20? I'm very up to date, James. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. It's a verse that is relatively familiar, I would say. I've heard it once or twice in my life. Okay, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's a very, very good passage. And that's what we're looking at today. So, my favourite board game is a game called Antiquity. It's not one I've been able to play for a while now. I've got a feeling it's not a game I've played with any of you who've had the dubious honour of playing games with me. I'm using this game as an illustration, rather than a cry for gaming buddies. But if it does sound interesting, please feel free to tell me so. We'll sort something out. It's a beautiful few hours of your life. Oh. In antiquity, you each play as a different empty town in late Middle Ages Italy. You see, it sounds good already. Yeah. <laughs> you start with just a few townspeople, a few houses, and a countryside rich with trees, minerals, fish, and so on. So you send people out each turn as woodcutters, or to quarry stone, or to plant fields, herd sheep, I put fish, but I didn't mean herd fish, herd sheep, fish for fish, uh, but you can only send them so far. So you use your supplies to build a church, more houses, buildings, inns, colleges, all to allow you to spread further afield, to reach the bounteous land, just out of reach, bounteous, bountiful, just out of reach, to keep your people happy and healthy to clear pollution and so on. Eventually, you'll be able to build another town and more buildings and people and so on. It is a wonderful game that unfolds over a few hours as the map evolves over the time with your townsfolk coming and going to and from your town with the goods. At different times of the game, you'll have townsfolk remaining in the town, manning the different buildings needed for the, turn to, uh, for the town to grow and develop. You'll have those going out to the fields for a short time before returning, and those going out into the fields for several turns, preparing the ground or bringing in the harvest. You'll have those who go out to build inns to grow the town's area of influence. And you'll have those who leave the first town altogether and move to work in the new town that you might build. These are all crucial jobs to the town's survival, to it thriving, and to you achieving your goals. With the final title of this series being The Church is Sent, all about the commission and for the church to make disciples, I'm hoping you've picked up on some of the parallels with the aims and gameplay of antiquity. It's something I'll be returning to a little later. But for the moment, I want to move from the idyllic medieval countryside to the current day. I know it's a bit jarring if you mentally switch between the two, but the last time I looked, we, weren't living, we were living in a world of iPhones and Range Rovers, rather than of lookout towers and oxen and carts. We're living in a society which is confused, 
On one hand, you have the whole, you have your truth, I'll have mine. Our opinions are of equal value. But on the other hand, you get disagreement, argument, and strife reigning supreme. All you have to do is to wander into the wrong discussion on social media, which is a terrifying thing, or into the wrong pub, or wrong group of people, or open your ears on public transport at the wrong time, and you'll hear a number of offensive phrases used by young and old, different political beliefs, different classes alike. It feels that in ways, we've never been more disparate as a nation and as a human race. It's hard to keep up with all the new terms and acronyms thrown around in arguments these days, and to understand where and why these battlefields have been drawn. Then comes confusion and indignation. Is it right to stand up to fascists or to care about the state of the country and want better for it? Or to have freedom of speech or expression? Or to have feelings? Or to look out for others? Or to fight for social justice? Or for equality for women, men, black, white, immigrants, or those that were born in the country? Things are changing so fast these days, and various things we once thought right and proper now probably have numerous acronyms and terms used by those who disagree with it. Whatever their political or personal stance, what beliefs should we stand by? Which do we accept? Which were wrong? What need to change? I went through a stage of watching a series on Sunday nights, I don't know if anyone else did. They showed old TV clips of programs from the 60s, 70s and 80s uh, with people who were young then and those who were young now watching them. The amount of racism and misogyny in the 7pm family comedies of the 70s and the 60s is truly shocking. But then if you show TV today with the amount of swearing, violence and innuendo-less sex to a 70s audience, they would be equally shocked. Into this world, you have the church. In many ways, perhaps facing a bigger backlash now in the UK than in any recent years, certainly that I can remember in my increasing dotage. Not that we should be surprised by this. As Jesus said in John 17, 14, John 17, 14 I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. It's not necessarily a backlash of physical persecution, of imprisonment or torture. Instead, the church is seen as an institution to be challenged and not seen as relevant in the modern day or providing answers for modern issues. It's seen as irrelevant and out of date. In a modern world where viewpoints and terminology change as often as new incendiary tweets are written by politicians and reality TV celebrities alike, the church is either, either seen as an unmoving monolith or an organisation desperately trying to keep up constantly. Going to, back to what I just said, Christians can be hit with that double whammy of, okay, that's your truth, but mine is just as valid, so I'm not interested. One minute, and then suddenly name-calling and verbal attacks the next. Even casually, from friends that I have, I get, but you're smart. I can't believe you're actually a Christian. I am quite smart. I'm definitely a Christian. Everyone is trying to carve out a corner where they can sit in their political, social, and individual beliefs. And for many, there's no space for there to be an institution which comes with perceived rules, often which people haven't actually looked into but just assumed. It's why spirituality, or a mix-and-match belief system, has become attractive to people. We don't have to change our thinking to fit a belief system that already exists. Instead, we can change belief systems to fit us. I read articles this week 
about how and why people hate being wrong or being challenged. And this causes people to double down on what they believe. Social media, such as Facebook, has been accused of creating so-called echo chambers. I'm sure a lot of you have heard that phrase. If not, you know what an echo chamber is. Um, where you end up connecting with those of similar beliefs, ethics, backgrounds, and so on. They purposefully created it that way because it was seen as a positive thing. Yet it's a comfort blanket. And when you put it back and glimpse into conversation between people with other beliefs on an issue, it can suddenly appear shocking from within that echo chamber you've been existing in. That's not a generational thing. We all create these bubbles, whether we mean to or not, from people we talk to at the pub, or in the cafe, or in clubs, groups, and social meetings. At the time in history where we have the most chance and opportunity to learn and share with each other, society is pulling itself apart and separating. The church is no longer the norm and is not comfortable. The church, Jesus Christ's teachings, Christianity, is being seen as what it was at the start. Radical, challenging and life-changing. Hence the backlash. I know I've been painting a bleak picture, but this is not. In these bubbles and echo chambers, there are people looking for an identity. And what greater identity is there than being a son or daughter of the living God? As John 4.35 says, Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. If we keep waiting and waiting for the fields to ripen, then we may be missing what God is doing in the lives of people. Just because media is telling us that the church is irrelevant and our friends and family may be seemingly totally uninterested in Jesus or might even be scorning us or showing oppression, we don't know what God is doing in their hearts. Being a Christian in this country is becoming less and less an easy ride. And nominalism, saying you're a Christian just because your parents were or you're christened or because you would loosely hold to Christian morality, that holds less water. For example, in 2015, only one in three marriages in England and Wales actually happened in a church. And only a quarter of weddings in 2016 had a religious element to them at all. Think back, and people would have just got married in church because it was the thing to do. Might never have been there before in their life, except being born. Born, married, christened, die. You know? A Guardian article in 2018 stated that Christianity as default is gone with 70% of young people in the UK identifying with no religion. Yet, this is not the death of Christianity. Again, using a newspaper article in my research, The Independent in 2016 said that although traditional church attendance is down, that in fact Christianity in the UK is actually becoming more diverse. And, I'm using their words here, dynamic and vibrant. The article even refers to a revival of churches such as Holy Trinity Brompton, Hillsong and such like. Christianity is actually growing, but differently to how it's been in the UK for a long time. People aren't just going to church because it's the cultural thing to do, but they're counting the cost of getting to know Jesus and experiencing him. The other week, um, whoever was preaching, I'm sorry, I can't remember which of the two of you it was. Uh, which, <laughs> I was trying to work out the door. Um, I've lost it now. Um, They made a comment about the wide diversity of the church we have here. I know in some ways we seem quite narrow, uh, but compared to some of these echo chambers and enclaves that society is creating for itself, 
we're definitely quite diverse. And a diverse group of people coming together with a wonderful common belief and goal is a powerful thing. We've got people here regularly from babies, in fact there's one right there, um, up to much older than babies. Um, we've got people from different countries, different social groups, different positions on the political spectrum. People who like wrestling, yes there's more than one of us in this church, I'll leave the other people to confess themselves. <laughs> people in this church who like Miss Marple, who like coffee shops and blogging, who like baking, sewing, classical music, rock music, literature, cats, dogs, snakes, cheese, wine, long walks, oh, or would rather sit with Netflix. Some even like American football, but there is forgiveness in the Lord. <laughs> We've got people who have many um, educational qualifications, and some who have made a career with their hands, their caring, their people skills, their practical skills, their technical skills. We've got retirees who give their time to courses every week. We've got students who are looking forward or are already enjoying their wonderful summer holiday, which I miss a lot. <laughs> Although I certainly feel we don't exhibit every diversity as a church, our church is pretty diverse. God's church as a whole is extremely diverse. The fields are ripe. There are people out there looking for answers, even just looking for someone to put a metaphorical arm around them and listen. There'll be people in Faversham who would have been here today if someone would have invited them. That's exciting. So let's talk about what we're going to do about it. The church is not meant to hide away or cower. As Ephesians 5 tells us, the church is the bride of Christ, and on their wedding day, that bride don't hide. Verses 25 to 27 in that chapter says that Christ gave himself up for the church, cleansing her to make her radiant. The church is radiant. Look around you. We are radiant. We are. Folks, we are. You may not feel, woo, you may not feel it every morning, or after a long day at work on the commute home, but the church is radiant to Christ. As well as being radiant, the church has power. I don't mean this in the sense of physical presence and influence of a church as a religious or political organisation. I mean it in the way Jesus meant it, in Matthew 16, 18, when speaking to Peter. I'm going to take from the ESV here, because it fits with the lyrics of a song that we sing every now and again in a second. It goes, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's powerful. We have this song in church for decades. Nowadays it makes an appearance once or twice a year, I think. And it does go, I'll build my church. I'll build my church. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say it without doing the uh, echoey bit. <laughs> and the gates of hell shall, shall not prevail against it. It almost seems easy sometimes, I think, to picture the church, doors shut, folks, folks huddled inside safe while huge walls of fire tore at it, but unable to get in. That's what I used to think as a kid. Oh, we're safe inside, that's good. That's good, that's good. The church is not meant to be a fortress, like at Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings. That's for Carrie. Um, desperately defending itself against mile after mile of advancing orcs. Though sometimes the church does come under spiritual attack. Instead, the church is meant to be on the front foot, marching up to the gates of hell, and the gates of hell unable to prevail against the church. Prevail meaning powerful or superior. The church is more powerful than the gates of hell. It can't prevail. The church is not passive. It's active. It's taking the initiative. It's about marching on those gates and taking ground. The Hope Church sit and born plant is the church taking ground. 
The Grace City Church in Japan that Anna and I were a part of back in the day is the church taking ground. Prayerfully sending out church members to other churches and plants across the country is the church taking ground. Being able to run Little Angels for a whole year now, isn't it? It's a year. That came off my Facebook. A year. How amazing. To be able to run make lunch sessions in Faversham. Time for tea. Social events. Offering to pray for people. Supporting people. Helping people. That is what we should be doing. Society needs it. People need it. It's what we're called to do. For the second half of this, I'm going to look at the harvest and the active church. I even came up with three S's for it. As I'm aware that so far, I've just kind of blurred rather frantically at you. And some structure might be nice just to pause for a moment and consider everything. So in that respect, here are the needs of an outward-looking church. The need to be saved, the need to be supported, and the need to be supporting. Saved, supported, supporting. I'm going to pause and take a sip. All right, number one, saved. I'll go back to the verse that we're following today. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Clear? Cool. Next point. Now, I'll spend a little more time here. Oh, that'd be great though, wouldn't it? Oh, could you imagine? I think we could do that. I'm up for that. Really to the point preaching. Um, right. When I was a teenager, doing my Stony Bible Week trips every year, if anyone used to go, ah, oh, Stony Bible Week brethren. Um, Seeing hordes of kids charging to the front to give their lives to Jesus, I think, wow, this is amazing. As I started to work with the kids and teens groups there, as I was a leader there for the last five or six years at Stoney, so I've been late 90s, early zeros, I had the chance to pray with some of these young people. And it's fantastic to be there as they accepted Jesus. Then I'd go home all pumped up and not a sausage. My friends at school wouldn't suddenly approach me asking to know more about Jesus. Even when I did have conversations that touched on beliefs, I never saw any fruit, as we would say. At university, I got into numerous friendly discussions late at night with my housemates about Christianity and such like. But as far as I know, there's been nothing that has come of that even now. And I do kind of still keep in touch. It can be tough. Very tough. I know there are people in here who have been praying constantly to see a friend or family member saved for a long time. Others who have prayed for opportunities to crop up, to speak to or pray for people. When you don't see that final step, it can be really challenging to faith or confidence. However, I remember being uh, shown what's called the Engel Scale. Who's, who's aware of the Engel Scale? We've got Engel Scale. Awareness? Excellent. A little bit. I was looking for, I totally forgot the name of it and I was looking at so many different steps. I was like, and then I finally remember what it's called. The Engel Scale, I saw the Engel Scale, and I felt such a personal burden lifted and a renewed trust in God being the overarching artist working into people's lives even when we're unaware of it. It says the Engel Scale, says there are 10 steps people go through at very different speeds, very different periods of times, very different levels of ease or struggle to become a Christian. And then there's another few steps after that. But uh, that's not for now. Um, to become a Christian, I was told that perhaps my conversation with them, or offer to pray, or invitation to church, or even having a social drink with them, could actually be one of those steps they need to take. Suddenly, wow, that's amazing. The 10 steps, for those of you that haven't heard of the scale, I'm not going to spend long, but I just feel I should list the 10 steps for you. 
are the following. No awareness of God is step one. Some awareness of God. Contact with Christians. So even contact with Christians are three steps up. It's great. Interest in Jesus. Investigating Jesus. Grasping the truth about Jesus. Understanding the implications of the truth. Acceptance of Christian truth. Accept the implications of becoming a Christian. And then the decision to surrender to Jesus. Those are the ten steps to becoming a Christian. It was humbling and uplifting all at once. And opened up the possibilities of church outreach and activity so wide. It's okay to meet up with people just because they're your friends. It's totally worth the church's time to run children's groups, daytime groups and put on social events. Just to be social. Just to welcome people in. It's worth having two minute pauses in events like the quiz night to introduce who we are and what we believe. It's worth it. The church should also love to continue the Easter and Christmas meetings where we invite all we can. Alpha courses or such like. Events where people can ask questions. In the game Antiquity, some of, some of the workers are going into the fields and settling in for the long haul, looking to bring back the goods turn after turn, but others are just short term or clearing the trees to make space for fields to be sown. We have so many skills and strengths in the church and different styles and ways to communicate with people. As an outward-looking church, we should be looking to use all of these. We all have something to offer. Okay, step one, that's saved. Step two, supported. I'm going to go back to the verse and read a little bit further. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So I added the teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You know what's cool? What's cool? Oh, I see you didn't have to ask. I'm not looking forward to its participation. I'm cool. But thank you very much. You've been good. What's cool is that becoming a Christian is not the end of the journey. Manchester City won the Premier League last season. They scored a record 100 points. And they won by a record 19 points from second place. Yep, they're back in training already. Ready to try and win it again this year. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever seen this sketch. There's a comedian, David Mitchell. He does a comedy football sketch where he's like a Sky Sports style host. And it's like a fake advert for Sky Sports. And in it, he's like, watch it all, all here, all the time, forever. It will never stop. The football is officially going on forever. It will never be finally decided who has won the football. There is still everything to play for and forever to play it in. That may sound like a horrifying concept for those who hate football, or indeed David Mitchell's style of comedy, but it plays on the fact that teams don't just decide to stop existing after winning the league. Even Leicester, who won the Premier League the other year as huge outsiders, who probably never have a hope of bettering that moment, turned up for training the next year to continue to develop and grow as a team and as players. We have the opportunity to continue to grow and to be supported in our walk with God within the church. To receive teaching, to share, to learn, and to worship together and grow as a family. I'm going to put a few verses here which really support that and they're worth listening to. Supported, being supported. <laughs> Hebrews 10, verse 24 to 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Meeting together, encouraging. 
Colossians 3 verse 16 states, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Worshipping together, teaching, admonishing. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach full unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers were given to equip us. Most excitingly of all, a reason to meet together, Matthew 18.20 says, and Jesus is speaking here, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Sounds good to me, a good reason to meet. Christ is here. Fantastic. Church is a place we can grow and be equipped as well as to worship together. It doesn't even end there. Let's move on to the third point, which is supporting. If we're to fulfill the Great Commission, then we are going to need help. From the strength, wisdom and protection of the Lord, of course, but also from the church. The church is Christ's bride. It's our family. In the 2012 Olympics rowing, the winning eight-man team completed the course at sculling. The winning eight-man team completed the course in 83% of the time of the single skull. More than a minute faster. They weren't better athletes, but instead they had a greater speed through the water because of the extra power they could produce together. Let me put this the other way. The Great Commission is something we should be doing as a team. Now, of course, this means different roles for different people, and this is also a real strength to working together. Kerry Rule is a wonderful clarinetterer. I've seen clips of her playing that Ian puts up. I've watched them. I've seen a clips of her playing in her orchestra, and she really adds to the sound they produce. But if, that orchestra, if the orchestra's big boss man guy, I don't know musical terms, the boss of the orchestra, I don't know, that guy, or lady. Um, but if that person thought, that's a beautiful sound, from now on, the whole orchestra is going to play clarinet. Then you immediately lose a lot of the music. The same if they thought, man, Carrie's awesome. She's so good at clarinet. Let's stick on violin. Then she can boss that too. Brilliant. That's not her skill. She's got many. Violin, I checked, is not one of them. I think it's fair to say. <laughs> Having a variety of skills and allowing people to play to their strengths is key in a band, a team, a church. I can't play guitar, but luckily in my band I play bass, which I can play, just about. I appear to have totally and comedically lost the ability to dive for a ball this season, but fortunately James keeps wicket in our cricket team far better than I ever could, so I don't have to worry about such things, because it is getting quite comedic, my fielding. Yes. As with the board game antiquity, some townsfolk need to be placed into the fields for a short or longer time, some clearing the trees, some moving to other towns, or in the case of church life, maybe other countries. Other townsfolk are manning the buildings in the town, making it possible for the others to go into the fields, or strengthening the goods that they brought in, or cleaning or developing. When I was a kid, I read and was read books about missionaries like C.T. Studd and Gladys Allwood, Aylwood, I can never say it, sorry, who gave up their lives in Britain to go and be missionaries abroad, dedicating their lives. That's amazing stuff. There are Christians across the world who have done, are doing, or are going to do 
these things that we're so fortunate to live at a time with plain, free video calls, postal service, which is good to quite a few countries now, communication within churches, international leadership meetings, and even things we take for granted now, like food, drinks, jobs, electricity, the fact that we know English, which is quite a powerful language across the world, language learning tools, training courses. These things are all in place. There are support networks in place that means that if we feel called by God to go to another country for a short or long time, then we can do this far more easily than was the case 100 years ago. It's not just about going abroad to be missionaries, though. If we were all called to be missionaries abroad, the local church would not exist. We're part of relational mission family of churches, which itself is part of New Frontiers with hundreds of churches across the UK alone. I've lost count of the people I've known who have moved from one New Frontiers or relational mission church to another, joining church plants or finding a new local church when moving for work or study. Another plug for Sittingbourne here, but we have a church plant happening on our very doorstep this year with Hope Church Sittingbourne. It's going to strengthen us. As it strengthens Sittingbourne themselves, it strengthens us. It strengthens the local church. We can get involved with these things, whether we feel called to move or whether we feel called and stirred to pray for a specific family or leader or a church or a country while our heart and body remains focused on Faversham. And speaking of Faversham, as it is most behind me, a little bit over there now, but it's mostly behind me, we have a lot to do here. The fields in Faversham are ripe. We have many different cross-sections of society in our very town, all at different points in their lives and spiritual, non-spiritual journey. I know, I haven't asked, but I know, that Mike and Sam are so open to any ideas that any of us may have about how the church can work out into the community in a variety of ways, whether social action, social events, prayer or support. If you have something that you want to do, feel really called to do, want to pray about, to speak to them. I'm sure they won't close the door on you and say, this is exciting. If, like me, you're really shy, I'm legitimately, I'm only okay now because um, I've got a microphone. Give me a microphone, I'm happy. Um, but if, like me, otherwise, you're really shy and absolutely suck at going up to people and speaking to them, then the thought of door knocking or prayer walks, as used to be quite popular, are terrifying. I always did what I could to get out of them. Horrifying. But for the first time this year at Easter, I leafleted for the Easter events, mainly because Mike stood there next to a pile of leaflets and said, no one's doing that road. I was like, oh, I live in that road. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get out of this one. But I did it, I did it. Uh, I leafleted for the Easter events around the house. That was okay. All I had to do was shove a leaflet through the door, quickly move on. I can do that. But I ended up chatting with a couple of people off the back of that. Wouldn't have done otherwise. Somehow, I now seem to chat with most people down that close, near us. Some random guy invited me into his house the other day to, mo- to talk to me about a band he knew because he saw me carrying my guitar from like, band practice one evening. Called me in, saw me in the pub a couple of weeks after. Hey, Luke! Came over, chatted with me, shook my hands. These sort of things that happened, they saw me around. This one of the first times sort I've of actually walked around some of these houses, but in leaflets for expected people. Another guy I've gotten to know this last year, from that close actually, tells me, it was like a, I didn't know if that was a compliment or not really, he tells me some of his mates really disagree with my religious beliefs, but he thinks I'm alright. That works for me, it's a start. We all have family, friends and random people 
who we can think of and who we would love to see here on a Sunday morning with us. Who we would love to see saved by Jesus. I love seeing new people here on a Sunday who I have no idea who they are. Absolutely no idea. I'm too shy to talk to them, unfortunately. I really should. Love it. Love it. Look at, oh, never seen them. Never seen them. Never seen them. Brilliant. This is great. I love you guys too. I love seeing you week in, week out. It's nice. But new people as well. It's exciting. Right. I'm going to do one of my quick and sudden summaries here uh, because we need to move on. But what I've been trying to say throughout the whole talk is this. And I've tried to summarize it. Yes, we're living in difficult times, but the fields are ripe. People need to know Jesus, the one who is all we need. It is our commission to go and share the truth of Jesus Christ with people and see people saved. In times where money is tight, where loneliness is skyrocketing, and children are going to school hungry, it's also the job of the church to care, to get involved in the community. As the New Frontiers Apostle Simon Pettit passionately said in a conference in 98, remember the poor. That's, that was heartbreaking. Even then as a teenager, you're a teenager. Remember the poor. 1 John 3.17 says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? They're children. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. As a church, we can do both things, through truth and with our actions. We need to be a church that genuinely cares about people, and not just about putting bums on seats. That loves people, desires people being saved, supported, and then supporting others. I'd love us to pray. I'd love us then to finish with a song, if that's okay. What I want my prayer to be, this is kind of the, in, in sports they call it like the go-home show. The go-home show. It's the, it's the end of the series. We're heading into summer. It's hot. Summer's coming up. We can do some great stuff over summer. What I want us to do is almost take this as a let's go. Let's do it. What I'd love us to do is stand up together. I want to pray myself, and I'd love you guys to pray for it. If there's people who you've been praying for, I want you to pray in a second that this is the summer that you see things happening. If you've been praying for breakthrough or whether God gives, you want God to give you a vision of what to do, pray that this summer is where he speaks to you, where things can be put in place, okay? So I'm going to pray first, but then I want you to give a real burst of prayer for that, and then we'll go on to worship, okay? So people can stand up, please. Let's pray.